Hey everyone, for this episode of the Moonlighters Club, we got sex positive. I interviewed Taja Ricketts of Satin Kiss, and uh, it was this is a pretty interesting conversation. Um, I learned a lot during this. Uh, we, we talked about our business, Satin Kiss, what they provide, uh, the way people view sex in our community, outside of our community, and it was cool. I will get weird about halfway in, um, just because I'm a child. But it was it was great. It was a great interview. Great to hear how Taja went from work to her own venture. And and the work aspect of it is it gets pretty heavy. Just talking about stress, how we deal with it, what we accept, what we're not okay with, and how to deal with that in the workplace. So this will be a good conversation to listen to for a couple of reasons. One, just hearing about how Taja dealt with stress at work, but why she decided to change um, her life and where she focused her time. And then also just the concept of her business and what it affects, how we view sex in our community. And by our community, I mean, I mean the black community, what we go through, what we are okay with, and what we are not okay with, and why. So this was another one I like to call from the closet series where I was bundled up into a very tight space to get the best sound quality. I use Zencaster for this one as well as the interview with Jacob Roundy and a few others. I like Zencaster. Actually, I highly recommend it for remote interviews. The thing is, though, if you use it, I would suggest using audio only, not video, just because video on the Internet is just not really there yet in terms of recording and getting the best quality. So I digress. Anyway, great interview, great guest. I hope you enjoy it. As always, thank you for listening. Welcome back to another episode of the Moonlighters Club. I am your host, Joel Edwards. I am a full-time employee slash guy who is trying to get out on his own. And all of my inspiration for doing that comes from the people that I get to interview on this show. I want to be like them. So whenever I get lazy or whenever I start downing myself or just being pitiful and pathetic, I listen to one of these episodes. I'm like, all right, let's hit it. So Another guest, um, uh, I'm really excited about this guest um, because I did a uh, showcase uh, uh, last year. Actually, was it? No, it was 2019. Mm -hmm. And it was at the Boston Public Library. It was the last time I did anything public for the Moonlighters Club. Uh, um, and uh, my guest was there and told you told me what your business was. And the, the reason why I'm so excited about this is I love just seeing people continue to do what they do. And I was just on Instagram and I saw, I'm like, oh, snap, this is Sarah, you're doing the business, you're doing interviews, you're doing podcasts. Oh, this is cool. So, uh, you know, I actually took a hiatus last year because I had moved and now I'm like back in the swing of things. So everyone, I want to introduce you to Taja, Taja Ricketts. Am I, is that, is that pronounce that correct? All right, cool. <laughs> Taja, uh, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. Um, one, we definitely need more women on the show. Um, always happy to have black, uh, black women on the show too, because um, I think it's great. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you for having me. Of course. So we met in the Boston area. Are you from the Boston area? I am, yes. Born and raised. Mainly like Dorchester, Roxbury. Nice. Where'd you go to high school? John D. O'Brien. Ah, uh, I went to Boston Latin See, Academy. Yeah. 
Okay, exam school kids, overachieving. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. So um, when did you go to, did you go to college? Did you, and if you did, was it Boston area still? Yes. So it's funny because I, I chickened out. Initially, I wanted to go to um, Atlanta for college. And the, the Taja now would have been like, oh, yeah, we're going. And I probably would have actually gone to school overseas or something, but I chickened out and, but I do love my school. I, I went to, um, I did uh base, I studied at Bay State College for a year and then I transferred over to UMass Boston uh, and did the, you know, remainder of my college career there and got a BA in economics and I minored in public policy and political science. Well, how'd you like studying that? I loved it. Um, so it's funny because initially when I, first of all, I'm like first generation grad. So I had no idea what I was doing. And I was always, you know, a high performing student. I mean, you know, there was like a certain low, but we'll get, we'll get to that point. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Once I went to college, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it work. And I know I wanted to do something business related, but I wasn't hundred percent sure, but I changed my major like a bunch of different times. At first I thought, okay, well I'll do general business, but I'll also do English. I'll also study music. I'll also study, it, it switched so many times. And then I thought, okay, finance, marketing. And then eventually when I started taking the economics courses, I said, okay, no, 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 this, this is the sweet spot. This is good. This is interesting to me. It's helped me to understand, you know, a lot of different elements of how our economy operates, how the market works. And it's, you know, information that's transferable, uh, no matter the practice that I get into. At the time I wanted to get into real estate investment and development, which I still do at some point, but that was my main focus. So I figured, okay, learn about the economics uh, and then learn about the political side of things. So it's like, what are the resources and who gets what and why? Um, to, especially to understand disparities and wealth income and uh, you know wealth and wealth disparities and uh, inequality and the distribution of housing and things like that. So um, that was my focus for a while. And then yeah, so that's how that's how I got into that field of study. Nice. So when you graduated, did you have an idea of where you wanted to go with that? I did. So when I graduated, it was like right around the time when the economy had tanked a bit <laughs> because um, we had that that huge financial crisis and the real estate economy was just a mess. And I wasn't 100 percent sure how I was going to dive into it. So I, you know, wasn't really sure what to do after that. And so I just I, it took some time for me to find mm -hmm. my way. So. Eventually, I, I worked with a recruiter and got um, into an insurance uh, company and worked there for about five years. How did you like that? How was that? How was that? There's pluses and minuses. <laughs> so I was getting, you know, the, the pay was great. Um, I had an, a great manager who felt more like a mentor. It was balance that I'd been looking for as far as someone who was willing to um, work with the people on her team and, um, you know, coach people and have open and honest communication, um, but have high standards. And I got promoted after a year to um, senior sales, senior quota associate. I mean, like the name kind of changed a couple of times, um, but I ended up getting promoted after a year and um, was doing really well. And I was also doing a lot of um, like the extracurricular things on the campus and working across the different uh, locations. So I was the chair of one of their affinity groups. And so I was like the communication chair. So I was doing that. I was, you know, doing a lot of networking with other people in different departments. And um, so it was great. I, I was learning a lot. I was achieving a lot. But I soon had, I mean, well, not soon, but like I, I wasn't 100% happy because 
I, I, I'm a creative and I, I didn't feel fulfilled, like something was missing. And then there were so many other things that I realized I was struggling with um, just as far as like, you know, dealing with my mental health and, and stress. And like, there were a lot of traumas and things I'd never had the chance to stop and breathe and take care of. And so all the work that had built up, no matter how well I did, like that stress just kind of like caved in. And so the more work I had on my plate after a while, the more overwhelmed I got and realized this is not for me. So eventually I had to leave because I was getting to the point where I was so stressed out from, you know, work and everything else, even in my home life that I was getting physically sick. So, um, you know, it was, it was a great experience and I appreciate it, you know, what I learned there and what, uh, you know, the great people that I met, but it just, it wasn't for me. Like I, I, I couldn't see myself, you know, doing that for, for a long time. I thought, you know, getting into it, I thought, okay, I'll do a year and then I'll, you know, figure out what it is that I really want to do. And one year turned into five and I was like, okay, I gotta do something. I was even doing a like part-time um, travel, like travel agency, like as an independent contractor on the side, because I love travel and I wanted to do something that allowed me to work, be my own boss in a way, but also work from anywhere and also help people and use my creative skills and marketing and things like that. So I was doing things like that on the side too. And eventually I just said like, this is killing my spirit. <laughs> I feel like I can't do this anymore. So I eventually, I had to leave. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, so was the job itself, even though you were really good at it, was it just one of those naturally stress inducing roles? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I would say it is. I mean, okay, so for one, um, I realized that it didn't work with my uh, with my learning style and things like that. I pretty much forced myself to adapt very early to it. And there were, you know, I was able to figure things out along the way and, and make it work for um, what I, you know, make it work and be successful. But I got to a point where I realized that the expectations were starting to get higher. Uh, we started, there was a merger that happened. The teams got bigger. Um, I remember one point, um, there was this one really difficult point in time. It was like the fourth quarter of one of, like the fourth quarter was always like go time. That was like the peak. And we had one where, you know, I ended up having to take on a much higher, you know, management role. So I was managing more of the inventory, more of the team, but I didn't have actual um, people management authority. So I could help to distribute the inventory and things like that, but I couldn't tell people what to do. And because we kind of lacked proper, you know, full support of management and things like that, I think the the morale fell, but then also there were a lot of other things that happened where it's like, oh, we were understaffed. <laughs> we were We were getting a lot of work. We were understaffed. And I had to, you know, just kind of help pull the team together and keep everything going. We had like a 24-hour turnaround and um, they had high expectations for the quality of the work that we were putting out and things were being, you know, uh, QC'd. And, and so we we had to, there was just a lot. So I had to do my work, make sure everybody was doing theirs, make sure we were, we were meeting expectations, make sure everything was in range, um, helping to keep the team morale up. And by the end of it, I was exhausted. That's right around the time where like the physical symptoms started to kick in. And like of my body just telling me, this is not okay you're working 10 extra hours a week. It's, it's, you're, you need to slow down. You need to stop. And it was, it was like that triggered a lot of other things that was just like a downhill spiral. So um, I would say over the next 
couple of years, it was like a lot harder. And then the more systems we had to train on, the more I had to train more people and manage people in different sites and it, and then also maintain my own expectations. Mind you, I was also doing the work on the affinity groups, which I love, but it was, you know, it was a lot at the same time. And that overachiever kicked in, but not taking full care of myself and really addressing the things that were going wrong and, and hurting and, and my mental wellness and everything else. I just, I, I emotionally, I was like, all right, I can't do this. I'm too stressed out. I'm tapped. I'm, I'm, I'm falling to quit. <laughs> and I don't like to quit anything, but I said, okay, I yeah. can't, I can't do this anymore. Do you remember, do you remember the day where you're like, this is, do you remember that day when you were like, I'm done, I'm, I'm turning it in, resigning now? You know what? It wasn't even a day. Well, put it this way. I, there was one day I was at my desk and I was working and I remember actual tears coming down my face. I wasn't, I didn't know I should be. It was the type of thing where I was focused. I was just doing my work, but I started crying and I was like, why am I crying? Like, well, something, something is wrong because I'm not like bawling, but tears are coming down my face. Like this is a stress, this is a stress reaction right now. Like my body is trying to tell me something's wrong. And I remember going home early that day um, and realizing like, okay, I need to, I need to take like a wellness break. So I, you know, took a few months off and I said, okay, you know, I, I, you know, I took care of my, my wellness and, and all of that and did the work. And I said, okay, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to go back to work. I, I developed some more tools to manage the stress and, and uh, deal with some other things that I, I hadn't really, you know, dealt with as thoroughly as I thought I did before. And came back and within a couple of months, I was right back out. And I'm, and that day was a little bit more intense because I was really, I, I, I felt like I'd failed myself. I felt like I'd failed. I did something wrong. Like, but what it was is like your mental health, like it, that affects everything. And I was just under so much pressure. And, you know, it was, it was like, you know, you try to stuff a bunch of things in a closet and then eventually the door just breaks and everything falls out. Like you can't just pretend those things aren't there. So I just, you know, I remember that day, like I emailed my manager and said, listen, I, I, I have to go home early again. I can't do this. And I remember going into an office or like this uh, phone booth that they had there, um, you know, where you can like make a, make a call if you need like privacy. Cause I worked on the sales floor and I remember going in there and putting my head down and crying so hard. <laughs> and I, 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 my sister had worked with me at the time and I had a, a friend that was there was really supportive at the time. And they both came down and talked to me and I'm like bawling like a baby. And then I'm like, well, I, I messed up. Like, how am I not doing well anymore? Like I, I took time off. And I, you know, I did all that. And it just was not, it, it just was, I, I realized that day, like, okay, I don't think I can do this again. I don't think I can come back. So um, over time, like I tried to see how I, I tried to do another, you know, couple of months of like figuring it out. But in that wellness process, I was like, no, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Like, you're not like, why are you lying to yourself? You weren't supposed to stay here this long in the first place. This isn't for you. Like it, it doesn't work with, you know, you or what you need. Like you really, this is you're, you're done here. And then I think we mutually between my workplace and myself, we thought like, not a single work. <laughs> it's just not, it's just not it. So we split amicably, but it, I, and I felt really free. I remember the last day I went to the office and, and picked up my stuff. And I just felt this weight off my shoulders, like I'm doing it. I'm 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 doing it. I'm leaving. Like I'm leaving the way that I told myself I would leave before, and I'm gonna go. Out. I don't know what I'm gonna do after this, but I'm gonna do something. And 
all right, I'm taking care of me. This I felt relieved. Like I, I felt like I was leaving prison. <laughs> I felt like I'd been let out. It was, it was the sun felt different that day. Um, so you know, it was. I would say that's like the moment where I said, "All right, it, this is over. This is this is done." Yeah, I, I respect that. I, uh, I and I feel like there are so many people who. I mean, I felt like that before. I've cried uh, at home. You know, I mean, 2020 was rough. 2019 was rough. And there are times where you're just like so frustrated that you you hit that wall. And I think people are just so scared to be open about it, you know, and to say, nah, this is literally killing me. It's killing everything about me. Uh, and it's okay to be like, yo, I'm out. So I respect that. I respect and I, I that feeling you had when you walked out. Like, I wish I could package that and sell that. Like, they're, they're like, yo, this is my last day. I'll see y'all later. That, that It's like, great. So, all right, you got out, you're out of prison. <laughs> now, what you're, what you're, what you're working on now, which we're going to get into, was that the first thing you wanted to do as soon as you got out of that job? Did that take some time to figure out? No. Um, so when I was actually, um, when I was on one of my mental health breaks, I thought, okay, what what can I possibly do to, um, you know, do like trans do something? I'm trying to find a spark of inspiration, like even if it's something that I can take and transfer into the role that I I had that I was taking a break from. It's like, what can I do, even if it's on the side? So I ended up going to Prague for a month and did um, a TEFL training, so teaching English as a foreign language. So I did that for a month. Um, even that I I struggled with because I realized like you know this is this is hard. Like I, I, I was dealing with, um, so I actually was diagnosed with ADHD. So I realized like, okay, I need to find out what works for me, you know, creatively and, you know, my, and, and my work processes. So I was able to try something different. I still even, I did well there, but I still in certain things struggled with that. And so I said, okay, well, this seems like something that's different. I could travel and, and, um, teach. I, I do like to teach and um, I do like playing around with language and English. And I was always really good at that. So I said, oh, this will be good. But it didn't really work out because at the time there was like, Prague was very popular. So the apartment situation was not that great. And I said, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to go home, finish selling all my stuff, and then I'm going to come back. But then another opportunity came up for me to help run a hostel in Puerto Rico. And I said, okay, well, you know what? I can still teach somewhere else at a certain point, but let's see what's happening in Puerto Rico. It's still stateside. I can get to family in five or six hours or however long it takes. I'll be fine. Then Irma happened. So I literally spent three days in Puerto Rico and I had to come right back. And so then I said, all right, well, um, what am I doing now? And so I took a few months to figure things out again. And then I thought, and then I came across a um, web development uh, boot camp. So I did that through the Urban League, um, the MCMO program in the Swahili for Code. So I did that for nine months full, eight, eight or nine months full time. And I said, okay, I'll do web development. But like right at the end of that, I thought I, you know, linked up with a business coach and, you know, she helped me to um, navigate the e-commerce space. She was doing like a, um, a coaching session, like a group coaching session for women and, um, so I, you know, I sat in on it, but I also did like some one-on-one -on -one coaching with her because I thought, you know, I could start a business. Like I could, this, I don't, I'm not beholden to anything right now. Like I could go strike out, you know, do something on my own. And I'd always wanted to own a business. So I figured, you know, now's the best time. You're not working, you know, you're, you're trying to figure it out. Like do it now. You have the focus for it. Um, and, and I always wanted to, so I said, okay, great. But the idea for Satin Kiss, I came up with that in like 2017. 
So I had it, but I was like, this isn't the right time. But 2018, like at the end of that web development course, when I had some tools for online, you know, coding and things like that, I said, well, what the hell? I mean, I could do it now. Why not? Um, so I said, I could bring that idea to life. I could, this would allow me to work from wherever I can help people no matter where I am. And I could finally have my own thing, my own baby. And, um, so I, I hit the ground running from there and I launched officially like six months later, like six months later, something like four or five months later, whatever that was <laughs> between September and February launched, you know, started tinkering and then launched in February officially. So. All right. So can you explain to the folks what Satin Kiss mm-hmm. is? Well, Satin Kiss is it's uh, I help essentially what I how I explain it to people is I help people lead healthy, happy sex lives. So Satin Kiss is an elevated shopping and education experience where I focus on quality, body safety and diversity and empowerment. Uh, and so it's an entire lifestyle brand. Um, so I have an online store where I, where I sell body safe, sexual health and pleasure products. I also do one-on-one and couples coaching and consulting uh, workshops and um, product discovery parties, or people would think of them as toy parties, but I try to get a little bit more in depth. We have fun. Like I do co-ed parties. I, you know, you can be all women, you can be all men, but it's like, instead of just showing up with whatever I feel like showing up with, it's like, no, no, no. I ask people in advance, like, what do you want to talk about? What do you, what products are you interested in? Like, what, what do you want to know? Like I'll cater it to your experiences and your questions. And we come together and we talk and we laugh and we relate and we ask all the questions and there's no such thing as TMI or anything that's, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's like, no, we're going to talk like friends here. Okay. <laughs> we're going to talk about all of it. And I, I definitely welcome um, people from the LGBTQIA community, people that are differently abled. I made, I started the business because I noticed that there were so many people not being served in the sexual health and retail spaces that already exist. Um, and I, I started with myself. I, I did the work to dismantle internal shame and stigma around sex and um, found myself naturally helping other people. So I, you know, I found that I was good at it and I figured, okay, well, I have something here. But I noticed also that for people of color and women, especially, you know, black women and 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 Latina and, and whomever, it's way harder to talk about sexuality because there's so many layers. You have, you know, colonization and, and how we're able to reclaim our bodies. And what does that mean for us? in the overall conversation of sex, how often are we fetishized? What does that look like? And do we feel comfortable enough to have these conversations, layering religion and everything else? And we're suffering because of it. And I wanted to make sure that we had access to someone who they could talk to and the resources and the education, but then also the products that weren't going to poison them because a lot of the products on the market right now are poisonous and the retailers are not going to tell you. They're just going to give you a discount code until you have at it. Um, and they also don't uh, they, they don't, you know, represent a large amount of people that are shopping with them. For example, if you look at their products, anything that's flesh toned, it's like labeled nude and it's all pale, like Caucasian. It's like, really? Like, but everybody doesn't look like that nude. I don't look, they look like that nude. And when they show anything, when they do sell anything that's, you know, marketed as um, a person of color, anything that's flesh tone, it'll have some problematic marketing or or labels or something on it that's alienating and fetishizing and all kinds of problematic tropes. And I'm like, okay, why 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 not just create something where we've eliminated all of the toxic products, 
We include a range of things that are flesh tone. We include a range of things that represent different styles and, and uh, sexual taste and, and sexual and gender identity so everybody can be served and not have to figure it out. They can get not only products, but also the services and have somebody to actually walk them through the process if they're new. But in general, helping to dismantle, you know, the shame and the stigma around sexuality in general. There's so many questions oh, I have to ask you. Um, is I have a, uh, uh, I don't know if any of this is true, but are white people sexually fr- like more adventurous than anyone else? I wouldn't say that they're naturally more sexually adventurous. Um, I would say that they're given the privilege of not having to be bound by any of the other stigmas or um, difficulties that we would have in approaching sexuality. So the sexual health outcomes that we have in general, like we're not often given the same kind of sexual health uh, courses and classes and, and access to things like that. We are often given, I mean, if you think about it, if you go back to, um, let's talk about you know Black people in America, um, our ancestors were fine with their sexuality. They they were like, okay, <laughs> like it's, it's part of part of life. It is what it is. Nudity wasn't an issue. But when we were stolen and colonized, nudity was, oh, that's what those sex, over-sexualized savages are doing. Because they're nude, they must be ready to have, that, that. we can lust for that. And because we own them now, we can do whatever we want with their bodies and we can label them. We can we can decide what, what to do with their bodies. We can breed them with each other and, and forget about their humanity if they even thought about us as human in the first place. But our how we defined our sexuality was stolen from us and co-opted and and turned into something that we couldn't control and it's these generations now where we're starting to take that back so where they don't have that barrier or they they don't have that one stumbling block of someone even to this day fetishizing them or or deciding for them oh well you having you having a a, a a big ass that means that you you must be virile you must be you know the sexual goddess and you just like you oh yeah like just all the stereotypes of oh yeah those black women they're they're just you know so naturally sexual and and ready to have sex with anyone and latinas they're so spicy and they're so it's just like really we didn't create these stereotypes for ourselves we were given these labels we were se- we were sexualized by the people who oppressed us and we're just now getting out of that. And then you add on top of that the religious, the, the religious aspect where sex is automatically like the this um puritanical religious aspect to everything where sex is considered this horrible, evil, dirty thing. You add that to the mix of people who clung to religion as a way of finding hope when there was no hope. Ugh, you have a recipe for disaster. So because people of color, unfortunately, like, you know, religion was beaten into our heads in a way that, you know, wasn't healthy. Then the sexuality just kind of like flows into that too. It's, it's a lot harder. So we're out here, like we're out here, you know, in the kink community too. We're just not often, we don't feel like we're welcome or, you know, we don't feel like we have the space to be there. There's so many times I'll go to like a munch or a a play party and uh, it looks like a chocolate chip cookie. And I'm like, I know for a fact there are more of us that are into this. And so I, I try, to, try to find people and bring them in and teach them. But even in another thing, too, once we actually get there, navigating that is tricky because 
I've had a great time. I know how to advocate for myself and, and navigate these situations, but you walk into a, a play party, for example, as a, as a black man and a bunch of heads turn. And the first thing they want to know is how big your penis is. And it's like, really? Hi, I'm a person. You can have a conversation with me. And it's like, oh, it, the, the thing, the, 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 the giant black penis has walked into the room. I have to have that one. I want to conquer that one. I have to have and claim that one. It's, it's just, it's unfortunate. So we have to walk into these spaces uncomfortable half the time. And they don't have that. They, they don't, they have the privilege of just being who they are and not having to navigate the gaze of other people and, and the fetish and, and all these other layers of things that are much more complicated. But we're, so trust me, we're out here doing all the things. Me personally, I'll log into a porn up X videos and I'm like, okay, here's my line. Right. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and I'm not saying we should not do things or do, but I always was like, are they the only people thinking of this crazy stuff? Like, is it, like, is it just because that's them and I'm over here just like, no, nah, I'm regular stuff, man. But you make a good point. It's like a lot of it is conditioning. A lot of it is us going, no, that's not the stuff we do, which is, you know, norms that you we create over a while. But in reality, everyone should be uh -huh. doing everything. Everyone should feel comfortable be doing whatever they want to. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a, a while, uh, I remember... I, not remember, but there's this whole, especially in the black community, we're we're very t tough on uh -huh. gay acceptance, right, and things like that, right. And I'm watching a commercial. I think it was for medication uh -huh. for people who have HIV, and the people it was a primarily black commercial. And then people are like, "Oh, that's an agenda." They're trying to show that, like, you know, uh, yeah, you know, the whole agenda: push the black gay man, push the black gay man. I'm thinking, like, wait a second, though. There's probably just a group of gay black dudes who are like, can we be in the gay commercials? It doesn't have to yeah. be all gay white dudes. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, you know what I mean? There's another whole subset of people that are like, no, we've been, I kind of oh. been here the whole time. You know, you just didn't know I existed. So when it comes to these talks about sex, it's interesting. There are so many things where we're like, nah, we'll exist in this bubble. Yeah. We don't go outside this bubble. <laughs> we'll never go out. And we don't know why. We're just yeah. like, nah, we're not going to. It's a matter of safety too, because like we, have we really had the, the luxury of, it's like our existence in, I'll just say America, I'll just, you know, focus on that because it's, it's different in different places, but America's colonization and racism is a different, it's, a, it's its own delicious breed. Um, so it, um, you look at this, so you bring up, you know, black men and, and, you know, the LGBTQ community, there's this whole struggle for identity of of the of masculinity like the a lot of black men that's one of the first thing that they did was try to find any way to 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 take away the masculinity and the humanity of black men and it's like okay well you, you strike down the protectors and and all right we're good you know who's really going to fight back now um so a, a lot of black men will hold tight to what that masculinity means so anything that is different from that or strays from what is traditionally considered you know the ruling patriarchy um, archetype, then they're gonna, it's gonna be discomfort in that. But outside of that, for Black people, it's like we have been fighting for basic rights for so long. Our sexual rights and our sexual health, that ends up, a lot of things like that we get to enjoy, those get turned into luxuries. And then we don't, we don't really listen to those things, like, or we don't indulge in those things anymore, um, or as much as we should, because you're, you're, you're busy trying to, you know, get from one day to the next with the, with, you know, with a, with your sanity, <laughs> with all the things that are happening around you, you're, 
I'm pretty sure that, you know, our our elders and, and ancestors, like they didn't have a ton of time to really think about pleasure because survival and try not to die today um, and try to deal with the trauma and everything else. So I think now we're at a point in time where we're, especially as as, as people of color and black people in particular, we're, we're going through this revolutionary time where self-care is being prioritized, where we're saying, no, 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 we're, we, we are allowed to have time to focus on our wellness and sex is part of that wellness. What does that mean for us? What does that look like for us? It's okay to feel pleasure. It's okay to explore pleasure in different ways and not judge ourselves for it. And now that whole black people do and black people don't, we're starting to question that more. We're starting to push back against it, which I am all for. It's like, that's, that's one of the series that I started to do on um, Instagram of like, black people do BDSM, black people do X, Y, and Z. Like we do all of these things. It's, it, we cannot allow society to tell us what we can and can't do. And we can't limit each other and say, yeah, this is a different day and time. Like, yes, there are still real and present dangers out there, but we have enough power to push back against them. We don't have to stay in this bubble that society created for us that we're continuing to reinforce. We don't have to. It's fine. We can we can explore. Like, do those things. Like, you have autonomy. Like, you you can explore all the things. It's it's up to you, really. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We want all of the nasty. Mm-hmm. Let's let's all of it. I like this. I like this energy. Um, uh, question. So when you decided to, and I you you nicely gave a list of things that you offer. What did you start with? Did you start with? Um, actually, no. How did you get to the point of? having products like what is what is how do you even get to that point where you can get them put them online sell them what okay. is that journey like? so the products that i sell um are all curated from uh different brands that are already existing in the marketplace so i went through and curated um a bunch of different items through my distributor and said like okay here i wanted to have something where um everything on the site was quality and of course the body safety aspect too and so i said all right um let me look and see what in the marketplace right now is actually doing well? What do people like? What do, what are people um, asking about? What's the most interesting? What do people really need? Um, and thinking about a lot of the interests and kinks and, and sexual needs and things like that, even everything down to um, uh, things like dilators, if a woman is um, looking to experience, like let's say if she's um, experiencing uh, pain with, with sexuality and, and has to get used to um, experiencing a larger uh, partner or just getting more comfortable with her you know pelvic floor, there are different things like that. There are Kegel devices, there are massage oils and, and just a range of things, even even toy cleaners and, and storage. So I wanted to make sure that the products that were on the on the site met the needs of a person in every aspect. So it's not just, okay, everything's going to be a vibrator or a dildo. It's like, no, we're going to look at, um, if you wanted to get into anal play, you're going to have a, a, a shower, douche install, in a, a douche nozzle thing. You can have like the bulb and I'm going to teach you how to use it. Like that's really how uh, I decided to pick and choose like what would actually go on the website. So we have like pretty much something for everybody at this point. Now, when you, because of all the stigmas out there, how is it tough getting those, like, how do you find those customers? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if I'm selling food or whatever may have you, video games, I can just, you know, okay, these are the niches for people here. Is it, 
do you think it's somewhat harder with you know, the products you offer, the services you offer for to find those customers because people may feel a certain way about something mm-hmm. or you oh, know yeah. what I mean? Um, so I would say it's, it's a little tricky um, finding the marketplace, but I, I pretty much do it by any means necessary. So um, organically, just with uh, optimizing the presence of the website online, and um, putting the business in a lot of uh, directories where my customers would be. So um, for one, just being unafraid to be like, yeah, uh, adult novelty and wellness, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it without any fear and hair. I'm gonna put this in this directory and not bat an eye. Um, but social media presence, um, you know, t- be doing uh, in-person marketplaces whenever that happens now because you know quarantines, et cetera. Um, so I would just get out there and talk to people and I would put the items out there. Um, I wouldn't put anything on the table that is like, obviously like phallic or, or flesh tone usually. But what I do is put like a range of different products for people to see and ask questions because oftentimes people see them online. They don't really get to, um, explore them, but I just, I go out there and I talk to people and I ask them what their thoughts are and I gauge the audience. Like when I, when people come to my table, first of all, they don't know what they're walking up on and you have, so it's split three ways. They'll see the table and think, oh, I'm curious. What is that? And then they get there and they go, oh, okay, well, I want to know more. Then you have the ones that are like, oh, I know exactly what that is and beeline it and they're, they're like directly to the table and it's like, yay, great. I want to know more. Then you have the ones that are like, they figure out what it is and they're terrified and they're just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I can't. So I'm like, all right. In any case, I try to engage people one-on-one and let them know this is the, this is, it's, it's, I humanize it. I, I give it a, an empathetic uh, voice and, you know, let people know that these we're, we're having a normal human conversation here. Like, I'm not going to make you use them right now in front of people. Um, so just, just letting people know that, um, what, however they feel it's okay. Like there's, there's a path through (laughs) whether you're excited or you're nervous, there's support for that. There's space for that. Um, and just, just continuing to differentiate from the other, uh, brands. I can't advertise on social media because, they're their censorship rules. So I can have a presence, but I can't use ad dollars. So I get creative in other ways. So I'll, you know, do uh, IG lives and, and events and pop-ups and all, just basically what, however I can do it, I'll do it. Um, but it's, it's really, a, I found like the most useful is just the human connection, just have, having a one-on-one conversation with people or, or having a conversation like, I'm having with you right now where other people get to hear it and see like, Oh, it's, it's not that bad. You don't have to be this type of person to, to buy a sex toy. You don't have to be considered lonely. You don't have to be um, considered freaky. You don't have to, it, you could use it with your partner. You could not, it, it's, it's fine. But in any case, it's totally normal. It's fine. Um, so that's, that's the primary way that I try to get the word out because it is tough with market share and companies like, who won't be named, <laughs> who have like the ad dollars to like be on every like major platform. So I try to, you know, get is to get the word out to as many people as possible. It's crazy when you think about social media and how we view sex as opposed to something like murder. Like I could see people get beat up and down on various social networks. Literally, mm-hmm. you can see people die easily 
on a Twitter. But it's weird. Sex is the last bastion. It's like, I feel like swearing on TV and sex. We are so weird about it. And I've traveled mm-hmm. to like Europe. Oh, yeah. It's so different. They don't, it's not a big deal. Like, like British shows or French, especially like the French, they, they're like, whatever. They're way past it. it but like for some weird reason, the American market for sex is, it's still super taboo. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's, it's in America, sex is like, it's everywhere, but don't talk about it. Or at least don't talk about it in a healthy way. <laughs> it's like, you can sexualize yeah, exactly. somebody. You can, you can, you can hypersexualize something, but. It's like, oh, is it really sexual? It's like, no, that's that's blatantly sexual. But okay, I can, I if you, if you want to deny it, cool. But it's like it's in your face all the time. But don't say anything about it and don't pursue it in a safe way. And how dare we educate our children about it in in healthy ways? And it's it's just a hot mess. And I I'm I am just hoping to spark or help to spark the revolution where it's not abnormal. <laughs> it's not weird to talk about these things because it is just sex. I mean, yes, it's an intimate thing. It's, it's, you know, I'm not going to downplay, you know, the importance of it or how the role that it plays in our lives, but people make it this giant, terrifying monster of a thing. And it's like, but it's part of our bodies. We produce chemicals to tell us to do it. Like it's the same thing as eating and sleeping and, and everything else. Like what, why are we making it into such a huge problem? So I would hope within the next generation or two that it's not going to be that serious. The same way we're like in the 17, 1800s, if you showed somebody your wrist or your ankle, you were scandalous. Now it's like, okay, we wear bikinis. So what? Like, Hopefully we get to a point where sex is seen as the same way. It's like, yeah, so so what? Yeah, my, my, my kids know where babies come from. So what? <laughs> like, they, they know yeah. what they got. They know what yeah. penis is. Yeah. They're not going to go do it because they're they're educated enough to know you know, there's a, there, you know, you have to be ready for these things. Um, but they know what it is and they know that it's okay. And they're not ashamed of masturbation and they're not ashamed of pleasure or, or they're, they're not having unwanted outcomes because they're doing things that they're not educated about. I think we'll be, like I said, this next generation coming up, they're more open. So I think, you know, after a while we're going to be fine, but right now it's a hot mess. So, (laughs) hopefully we do get here. It's going to take a little bit, but I I do agree. We just have to keep pushing forward. Um, So, I remember you were talking about just how you felt when you left your job and, you know, emotionally where that left you. How are your days now? Now that you're working on this, how different is it? Very different. So, (laughs) before the quarantine, I I ended up getting like a part-time, like office management role. And it was great because it allowed me to work on my business while I was at work. And they knew, like they, I, I talked to them about it ahead of time and they were like, Hey, you can work on that stuff. So I was like, all right, fine. So when that went away, it was like, Oh crap. My sense of structure is gone. What am I doing? What is like, what is life? So I, over the last year, um, I've found balance. I, first of all, just redecorated my whole space to feel more at home and, and to create the kind, set myself up for success, basically. Um, so my days are pretty much filled with focusing on this. I, I made sure that I kept nine to five hours because I was starting to get burned out. I was, from the time I woke up to the time I went to sleep, it was everything sat and kissed, which I, you know, it's, it's what I do. So, but I had to put that, that boundary there and say like, okay, you will not be working on this at 11 p.m. <laughs> you will be doing something else, like sleep. 
or um, you know something that you actually that that's that's not work related. So um, I had to learn to regulate my schedule a little bit more and figure out where I'm going to put my workout times and um, making sure that I I was eating at at different times and not hyper focusing on the work that I do. Um, and making time for for connecting with friends and things because it it is it can be very isolating as an entrepreneur. But then I'm I'm a very very social, very outgoing, but very solitary person. So um, I had to learn to reach out to my circle of people on a regular basis. So I'll reach out to my my girlfriends in, in the WhatsApp group chat, and I'll um I'll you know go and visit family um on the other side of town and stay with them, quarantine with them for like a couple of weeks just to have somebody else around and um you know break the monotony. But just you know, also working on finding different projects to work on. So I got accepted into the E4All um, Business Accelerator program. So that uh, also took up a lot of my focus uh, for the last few months. So finding different projects and things to work on that include my business, but also allow me to have work-life balance. That's pretty much how I've been able to um, navigate everything and, and, you know, indulging in the things that bring me joy. Well, that sounds awesome. And it, it, it's, it's great to hear that, uh, that balance was found and, uh, you just hear it, you hear it in your voice. And, uh, that's what we, I feel like most people are striving for. Like it doesn't, it's not normal. It doesn't, you don't have to suck it up. Like a lot of this stuff, I feel like this interview is all about breaking norms that just exist mm-hmm. for no reason, be it work, sex. It's okay to question things and to just feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to step away. It's okay to have certain conversations. I feel like it's just been beaten into our brains to just take things how they are. It's so hard to look out for yourself. So I'm so happy that you're in a space now where you're growing. You're talking about something that needs to be talked about um, for so many people. Uh, and I, 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 and I appreciate the focus on people of color, man, because uh, as you stated, there's so many historical things that we, we're not even aware how they affect us. Like we both grew up in Boston. That, uh-huh. that affects us. You know, that, that was a hell of a yeah. city to grow up in, man. And it's like, yeah, we got to <laughs> <laughs> figure this out. So. I, I appreciate it. I really appreciate your insight on that. Um, at this point, I would like you to share any information on where people can find you, how we can purchase, uh, anything you'd like to promote now, I'm happy to have on this Great. podcast. Um, okay, so the website is satinkiss.me. And um, so you can reach out through, if you wanted to talk to me directly, um, you can reach out through email. So it's, co- it's contact at satinkiss.me. I'm on Instagram, satinkiss.me, Twitter, satinkissme, Facebook. There's also a YouTube channel. Um, so I, I ended up creating like a, a unique one because it was just long and, and ridiculous. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash satinkisstube, that's the YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, you can, and, and, and on any of those platforms, it's going to be myself uh, answering any questions. So privacy is, is, you know, respected at all times. There's no such thing as a stupid question or TMI. Um, happy to help people. You can sign up for your free 15 minute consultation for, you know, whether it's a one-on-one or a couple's consultation, if you want to get assistance shopping on the website or finding different practices and products that work for your lifestyle, that's, you're, you're welcome to sign up there on the services page. Um, and again, my name is Taja. I'm the owner and you can reach out on all of those channels and I'll be happy to help you directly. Taja, this is great. That is awesome. Uh, I, it, this is a cool conversation. Um, and 
everyone out there, I know you have questions. Cause I have like a thousand <laughs> more. <laughs> so I'll be sure to be reaching out. <laughs> um, I, I really appreciate, appreciate your time here. I wish you nothing but the best. If there's anything the Moonlighters Club can help you do, we will do it. So uh, uh, I think it'd be cool. Um, so yeah, everyone listening, uh, feel free to uh, tell a friend about this. Please tell a friend. Um, rate and review our episodes that help us be found. The um, uh, only thing I'll direct you to, the Moonlighters Club website, moonlightersclub.com. We're just going to make sure that every person that we interview, um, we place them on our website. There's a way for you to find them. Um find their businesses, learn more about them. So that is a project that I'm working on right now other than just interviewing and recording. So thank you all for your time. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it all. And until next time, have a good one.